Welcome back to the season finale of Your Real Source, the podcast about real estate. I'm Dave Dury, CEO at My Real Source, and today is, in fact, the season finale, episode 13, and we've got a great show for you. We're going to talk to Brian Alford, who is the Chief Information Officer at My Real Source. He did our first podcast, and he's wrapping up doing the last one, so we'll get with him in a few minutes but we want to talk about our pandemic curve, which is on our site, yourrealsource.info. We've been doing a weekly graph for what's happened because of the pandemic. And it's going along the same plane where the new listings are a little bit below last year. The pendings are above last year's and the close are above last year's. But I also want to uh, supplement, in addition to the pandemic curve, which is a weekly graph, some information from our monthly market updates for through the end of July, the number of listings in inventory in its entirety is down by 44%. So that's a huge reduction in inventory that's available. And the median sales price is up over 15% and the average sales price is up over 10%. So you can see we have this inventory shortage is really uh, impacting the uh, sales prices going up, and we need more listings. So if you want to take a look at these, go to our site, yourrealsource.info, and take a look at those. Okay, and now we'll do our etiquette minute. Oops, it sounds like we have a question. Jake, do we have a question? Yes, we do. Dave, if my seller provides photos of his cottage to me to sell his property, can I use those legally? You can if, and the big if is if you get it in writing. So if the seller is the one that took the photo, the way copyright works is whoever clicked the shutter owns the copyright. In order for you to use that photo in your marketing of the listing, you would need to get the written copyright from the seller. The good news is in my real source under uh, our documents, our MLS docs, we have a place where you can get that copyright document that you can have the the seller sign, and then you will have the rights to that photo to put in the MLS to use in marketing. And that's what you would have to do if you're going to use a photo that where the photo was taken by the seller. And remember, if you have any questions as it relates to copyright photography, we have photography classes that discuss the copyright. So get in touch with us and we'll get you set up with the class. And now it's time for our etiquette minute where we give you an etiquette tip in less than a minute. And today, for the first time, we're going to have our executive producer, Jake DeReese, give us the etiquette minute, and I will be the one that starts the courtesy clock. Okay, so be sure when scheduling your closing that you ask the questions necessary to protect your safety and the safety of others. Some questions include, can I accompany my clients in the closing room? Will buyers and sellers be seated together in the same room? Or can the buy side and sell side schedule the closing for the same time? All these questions make sure that the closing runs very smoothly and very legal at the same time because we don't want anything to go wrong when we're closing your transaction. And that's our etiquette minute for today. And, and we was, did it in less than a minute. It was great. It was less than a minute. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. Okay, I'm going to see if I can get Brian Elford on the phone. 
All right, Brian, are you there? I'm here. All right, we got you on the phone. Okay, now this is our uh, last episode of uh, our first season, episode 13. And uh, Brian was our first uh, guest interview on our very first episode. And I said we'd probably have him back, and we have him back. So he's the chief awesome. chief information officer at My Real Source. And today what we wanted to talk about was a couple of things. One was about RESO, and the other is a public service announcement. We'll save the public service announcement for the uh, end of the interview. But first, we want to talk about RESO. People say, well, we got to add uh, something because of RESO, or we can't do this because of RESO, or we got to do it a different way because of RESO. And RESO is an acronym. It's R-E-S-O. So, Brian, what does that stand for? What is this? That stands for Real Estate Standards Organization. And what is it that they do, and why do we care? Well, what they've done, uh, this is an independent organization that was created by NAR back in the, uh, around 2002, it was just, it started out as a work group and up until, it wasn't until 2011 that it became an independent nonprofit organization. And what they have done is they created, there was a need in real estate and that need is a way to standardize the data from going from A to B. So in other words, from one database to another database, we needed a standard approach to calling a field, one field, a particular single name so that it has a single target. So it makes it easier for us to communicate and move data from, again, one database to another. So would that be like uh, data sharing with other MLSs would be one example? Absolutely. And then what about sending it to, say, other IDX vendors or syndication uh, platforms or things like that? So any yep. move, any movement of the data in any way? Yeah, the, and really the big benefit is because it is standard, it really opens the avenue for agents and brokers to buy new products because now this separate company doesn't have to go through this custom data mapping in other words, they don't know what this field is called. They have to do research and all of this development. Now, if they follow these standards, they'll know where they're supposed to put this data, where it slots in their database. And it, it makes it much easier to incorporate new products in the industry. So this RESO, is, does it have a connection with the National Association of Realtors? Absolutely. As I was saying, it was created by NAR back in 2002. It was just simply a work group. Um, it wasn't until 2011 that it became a fully autonomous nonprofit organization. And, you know, shortly after that, we actually became one of the first joining charter member of RESO in the state of Michigan. So it was a very small elite group, and we're thankfully one of those organizations so we're, we're one of the pioneers so we're a charter member and you participate in their committees and work groups right yes and besides that connection to nar is there a requirement or a mandate for anything nar connected regarding resource standards yes you know prior nar was pretty hands-off when it came to uh 
uh, the MLS, but as they saw a need for this standard, uh, creating these standards, these data standards, NAR has started to mandate what RISO has, has created. And um, one of the biggest things that they've mandated is a requirement of the data dictionary. And that's really what is um, the meat and potatoes of RISO. It's what we call a field. We all agree on what that field is and what it's called. And that's really the biggest part of the, of the data standards is just field names. So, Field values. so if, uh, if an MLS said, hey, we've got a very unique situation in our marketplace, we've got unicorns that cross the road, and we have a unicorn crossing field that we would like to add to the MLS. So if that doesn't exist in the real estate standards dictionary, what do you do? Well, NAR doesn't say or RISO doesn't say no. They do allow what are called localized fields. So those are your unicorn fields. But what what they advise as best practices is to find an equivalent, a RISO equivalent, before you go off and create your unicorn fields. So if you have a place or something that's a near equivalent or close, they highly suggest <laughs> that you adopt what RISO has as a standard that rather than go off on these customized approaches. So if there was a place for animal crossings and that was in the data dictionary, you would want to use that as opposed to a unicorn crossing. Correct. Okay. I think I understand it. Yeah. All right. And so because of these standards, then that's going to make it easier for new people that are, they think up a new pro product and they say, boy, this would really be good for the real estate industry instead of having to get data mapping done for lots and lots of different MLSs, they could just use the standard and, and build their product to the standard? Yes, yes. And this is such a niche industry. When you have almost 700 independent databases in the country for real estate, this makes it hard for a small organization that wants to offer, you know, a, a very, uh, cool tool for a broker, an agent, or even an appraiser for that matter, to uh, to do business. You know, it, it, it could be anything, but it's a way for them to utilize that data. And and it makes it easier. When, it, when you make it easier for industries outside of this industry to, to come in and innovate, then it really benefits everyone. It benefits the broker, the agent, the MLS. So this RISO standards are they ever changing is it a living breathing document that changes all the time absolutely absolutely it it's it's constantly a changing living document or documentation rather and you know this encompasses not just the data dictionary but it encompasses rules of how we move data from uh, from a to b they've changed the api recently the past standard or the most predominantly used API is what's called the RETS API, and that's a real estate transaction standard. Uh, that's being moved in favor of uh, the web API, which is based on a more uh, globally recognized standard of transporting data. So it, and it does a lot more. It's way, it's way more efficient 
problem with Rets is if there's a change in a listing or photos, we don't know what that is. So we have to download the entire record or all of the photos every time there's just the slightest change. With the web API, the advantages behind that are we know what the change is. So now I could just I could download just a single photo if that was the only thing that was added, or I could just add the uh, a specific field or a field value. So it improves the efficiency of transporting data. So this API that you speak of, or the RETs that you speak of, those are just two different forms of transport for transporting the data from one place to the other. Yes, yes. And yes. so we're in, in the midst of a, a sea change here going from RETs to APIs. Yes. All right. Yep. And, and you know, anything in the real estate industry, you know, has a, it's really a slow change. You know, when you've established all of these connections using RETs, you know, they're, they're encouraging at this point under these new standards to adopt the web API. And, and usually anybody new to the industry, they jump right in with the web API. The documentation is great. It's clear. So they, they know what they're getting into. It makes sense. It actually is, is used in other industries. So it's, it's, it's not something that's so unique. RETS was pretty unique to real estate. So when a vendor came in from outside of the industry, it took a little bit of explaining. Uh, the documentation was there, but it was like, well, this is, you know, it's unlike anything that's used, but this web API is something that's recognized outside of real estate. So over the next few months or years, there'll be a transition that happens to get people from the old version to the new version. Yes. Yes. And you know, um, a lot of things that Riso does also, I just wanted to add is um, they, they create other things, other standards, like the unique property identifier. You know, uh, we have a problem with duplication, especially with data sharing. This allows us a way to identify what would be a duplicate or a duplicate property or duplicate listings. And it allows us to do that a little more efficiently. You know, in the meantime, we, we've had to incorporate measures of our, of our own to do it. Nothing's 100%, but part of what these work groups do is, is help us identify those because we're not unique in data sharing. Um, that's a big part of what we do, but duplication is something that is pretty much you know, global. It's something we all have to deal with. So I guess the uh, big takeaway is if you ever see Brian telling us about changes that have to be made. And he says, the reason we have to make the changes is because of Riso. Now everybody knows why. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's here to, it's, it's to benefit um, us all brokers, agents, you know, they, they got to understand. And I, and I think for the most part, committees understand that, that Riso is, is um, Riso's decisions are mandated by NAR. So we do have to adapt to these policies, but for the benefit of us all. Okay, that's great. So I think we've covered Riso pretty well. Now we want to save a few minutes for your uh, public service announcement about how to stay safe. And there are some issues that you were going to help us with, like fishing and things like that. Yeah, fishing, I I don't believe, is something that's ever going to go away. And for those out there that aren't familiar with that, that's that's a fishing with a pH, <laughs> and what it is, 
it's designed to lure you or fool the recipient of an email or even a website of giving up their login and password to either their email, banking site, anything like that. And it's, it's usually very creative. I, I see they get better and better at fooling the end user as though it's a legitimate site. And, you know, we see a lot of those coming through our email service. And the fact is, as agents, your email is out there published. It's, it's public. Your email is everywhere. You're dropping it in a fishbowl. You're, you're giving it out. Your card's tacked up on a, a wall. You give it out to websites. It's, so it's, it's ubiquitous where your email address is. So it's just an easy target. They know what you're doing. But I would caution everyone out there. And you know, one that's very popular is that they've got you know, an offer. <laughs> I got an offer here. And you know, they're not real specific. But some could get clever enough to see that you have a listing out there that they find on Zillow and they could say, hey, I'm submitting an offer for this address and you don't think the better of it and you just click and, you know, you don't recognize this agent, but it's an offer and you open it up and that is one form that could or you click on a link and that's going to send you to another site that's asking you for maybe a login and password for it looks like your email site but it really isn't. There's lots of clever ways that they can try to coerce you out of your login and password. So what you're recommending is be careful what you click on when you get a, an email. It may not be from the person you thought it was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, when an agent submits an offer and they don't have their contact information in there, red flag, you know, don't, don't open the attachment. You should be able to look up that agent within the MLS system. And in Paragon, you could click on membership. And this includes all of our data sharing, too. So all of um, anyone we data share with, you have access to their contact information. So if you get an offer and it's like, wow, they sent this and they don't have a phone number, they don't even have their brokerage name or anything like that, that seems a, a little odd. Don't take the chance. Just Definitely, you know, look up the agent if they're not there, or you can always call my real source support and we can help you find that agent too. You know, this is not something we typically do, but to be honest, I think it is. I think this is something that we could definitely help make sure that that's coming from a legitimate source before you consider opening it or clicking on a link. Your advice is if you have any idea that there might be an issue, go ahead and call our support. Yeah, especially if you don't recognize the agent or whom that's, whomever that's from. You know, a lot of our email, the phishing attacks are like there's an account change or anything like that. And we continue to remind all of our email users that, you know, just call our support. That's what they're there for. That's the advantage to having our email is that if, if you have any doubt, you can call our support nine to nine, seven days a week. Or you could just shoot an email and just, you know, hey, look, this doesn't look right. So we can help you out with that. Yeah, I've gotten uh, emails where I think that they should already know this the information. So why are they asking me yeah. for this information? Yeah. And then I contact our support. And they, yeah, nope, that was a phishing scam. Don't click on it. Yep, yep. Yeah, there, there's plenty of ways to, uh, and these aren't going to stop. And I, I think it's just, 
it's because it works. A lot of people get fooled by these. I, I, I think that our members are fortunate and that they can, if they have any doubts, they could just call our support and our support can help them out or answer any questions. So it's definitely a big benefit that you have somebody that you can just call. And maybe you don't have somebody in your family that is, is tech savvy. Well, you call our support. And if you're not really sure, I mean, they can even take a remote access and actually, you know, kind of validate right there because there's other ways that you can, you could tell this is a phishing email because the link that's there is actually going to this non-secure location it's one thing to recognize, especially you'll notice your browsers don't allow you to go to sites that are insecure because okay. you, you can see if something accidentally happens, even with our site, it would show insecure. So it's important that we have or you only attend or you go to sites that are identified as secure. It's got that little lock up in the address bar. Okay, good tip. Well, thank you for the public service announcement. This was very helpful. And remember to contact our support. And how do they contact our support? Where can they go to find that? Uh, they in can Paragon? call the main number. Yeah, in Paragon, they can hit help. They can open a ticket that way with the form. Uh, they can call in at 248-247-1040. They can just email support at myrealsource.com. Any of those ways, they can get through to a support person. All right. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for being the last interview of season one and, oh, and being the first one. You were the first and the last. So yeah, you're yeah, very special. Honored. Yeah, you should be honored. You're, you're uh, very special. All right. Well, thank you very much. And maybe we'll see you in season two. All right. Looking forward to it. Okay. Thanks. I want to thank Brian Alford for being our first guest of the season, as well as being the last guest of the season. And as we come to the close of season one, I want to ask my executive producer, Jake DeReese, do you have any comments or thoughts about our first season? Yes, I do. First, I want to say, Dave, you were, ama- you were an amazing host, great host this entire season. And I would also like to thank all of the guests over the span of 13 episodes that have joined you on our podcasts. I would also like to thank all the people that went to yourrealsource.info and asked us a question. And, of course, I want to thank our listeners for coming back every week and listening to what Dave had to say. <laughs> as well as others. Yes. And, Dave, how, why don't you reiterate why you started this podcast again? Well, when the pandemic started, we all of a sudden couldn't meet our uh, friends and our members face-to-face anymore, and we had to come up with different ways to get uh, communication out to them, and this podcast was one of the ways that we came up with to do this safely in a pandemic. So don't forget to watch our website, yourrealsource.info, along with all the other My Real Source social media pages for updates on a coming season. And Dave, why don't you sign us off? And remember, it's not the source if it's not your real source.